Welcome back to The Cellcast Presents Untangling Kingdom Hearts. In this episode, we're going to be looking at our first trip to Destiny Islands. Plus, a quick side tangent over into Disney Castle. our hero, Sora was being swallowed up by darkness, while he was told he was going to be the one to open a door. Sora ends up waking up on a beach, realizes everything we've seen so far of the game has been a dream, and lays back down, only to see Kairi staring down at him, which startles him. Kairi is voiced by Hayden Panettiere, before she played the cheerleader who needed to be saved in order to save the world and heroes. Kairi teases Sora for snoozing on the beach, while Sora tries to explain his dream, but of course Kairi doesn't believe him. Sora tries to change the subject by asking Kairi what her hometown was like, implying that Kairi isn't from around here. Kairi says she doesn't remember her hometown, but the way the camera is framed, it implies maybe she knows more than she's letting on. But she wouldn't mind going to see her hometown, but in reality, she's happy here. It's here we come across franchise not number five. Where is Kairi from, and how did she get here? To find out more, check the spoilers at the end of the episode. Sora then says, I'd like to see it too, along with any other worlds out there. I want to see them all. Interesting how Sora knows about other worlds. I mean, Kairi doesn't even flinch, so they have obviously talked about it before. After Kairi asks, what are we waiting for? Riku shows up. Riku is voiced by David Gallagher. He also played Simon Camden in 7th Heaven and Donnie in Super 8. But we've previously mentioned him in our review for Whispers of the Heart. In the English version, he played Seji Amasawa, the violin player who was love interest in that movie. Riku jokes that he's the only one working on the raft before throwing the log he's carrying at Sora and picking on Kairi for being as lazy as Sora is. Kairi says let's finish it together as Riku sits down next to Sora, even saying she'll race them. While neither Sora nor Riku act like they want to do this, as soon as Kairi yells go, they both jump up and run along the beach with Kairi not far behind. Here we finally see the title card for the game, but that's not all as we also get to see the title card for this particular area, Destiny Islands. This is a minor detail admittedly, but one of the things I love about the game is that every area gets one of these title cards. Not just in the this particular game, but continuing forward into other games, giving each area the feel of a land in a theme park, which is fitting, given so that some of the inspiration for the games do come from Disney theme parks. And let's face it, to some degree, all the Kingdom Hearts games are theme park games, with each area being full of attractions. The camera flies in on Soaring Kyrie standing out in front of a shack on the far right-hand side of the island. As will be the pattern from here on out, Destiny Island has two musical themes, that play here, both written by Yoko Shimomura. They are Destiny Islands for the field theme and Bustin' Up on the Beach for the combat theme. 
At this point, you are now free to move about the area. But if we go ahead and talk to Kyrie, she'll go ahead and give us our first quest, which is to find supplies to build the raft, namely two logs, one cloth, and one rope. Once you find all these items and bring them back to her, the day will end. But before we do that, let's procrastinate! Riku is standing on the island that the bridge you're about to run under is connected to. Also hanging out on the islands are the three Final Fantasy characters from Sora's Weird Dream, except here they've been aged down from the Final Fantasy appearances. On the edge of the pier where the boats are docked from Final Fantasy VIII, we have Selfie Tilmet. Much like her appearance here in Final Fantasy VIII, she is an active, outspoken, and energetic girl. In Final Fantasy VIII, she grew up at Trabia Garden before transferring into Balam Garden at the start of the game. Students at Balam Garden attend the school there in hopes of joining Seed, a mercenary force for hire. Combat and magic are primarily what's taught there. Selfie's weapon of choice in the game was a pair of nunchucks, which is represented here by her jump rope. Also on the beach is Waka from Final Fantasy X. Quick note here, characters from Final Fantasy X don't have last names. He is voiced in Kingdom Hearts by prolific voice actor D. Bradley Baker, who played every single clone trooper character in the animated Star Wars television shows. Here, he is doing his best impersonation of John DiMaggio's performance of the character in Final Fantasy X. But not the best one that could have actually been made, I think. There, he was the captain of the Blitzball team, the Besaid Aurochs. Blitzball being a fictional sport in Final Fantasy X, that's kind of like underwater soccer. Walker's weapon of choice, both in Final Fantasy X and here, is his Blitzball, a white and blue ball with yellow lettering, although the lettering is missing in Kingdom Hearts. Lastly, on the platform where the dream versions of these characters asked you all those weird questions, is Titus from Final Fantasy X. Unlike Selfie and Waka, who are aged down from their appearances, Titus's appearance here is based more on the young Titus from the flashbacks seen throughout Final Fantasy X. Here he is voiced by Sean Fleming, who also voiced the characters of Jim and Tim Possible in the television show Kim Possible. In Final Fantasy X, young Titus was voiced by prolific voice actress Cree Summer. Regular age Titus is the star player of the Blitzball team, the Xanarkand Abes. This would have meant more to Waka if Xanarkand hadn't been a ruin for over a thousand years. To avoid spoilers for a game I'm not going to talk any more about here, let's move on to Titus's weapon of choice, which, since he is Final Fantasy X's protagonist, is, of course, a sword. In Final Fantasy X, this is the Sword Brotherhood, which is unique in that it appears to be somehow made of solidified water. I don't mean ice. Water. His red stick, which he uses in this game, may be more of a reference, however, to the sword Orin gives him at the beginning of Final Fantasy X. You can challenge Selfie, Waka, Titus, and Riku to a fight, and the good news is, if you lose, you don't get a game over. Although, bear in mind that Sora is keeping score between him and Riku. It's here that I want to stop and explain one small thing about combat, as the fight with Waka is the easiest one to explain it. Every once in a while, during a fight, you might see a number fly up with the word tech. These are called tech points. They are additional experience points you are rewarded for countering the enemy's moves. In the case of Waka, this is when you bat the blitz ball back at his face when he throws it at you. You can gain these tech points from all the other enemies in the game, so keep an eye out for them. Anyway, back to our beach chores. One log is on the beach. One log is on the island with Riku. 
The rope is over by Titus, and the cloth is in the treehouse in the tree by the secret place. Also, there is a safe point in the shack by the bridge to Riku's Island. Go turn all those supplies into Kairi, and she'll give you a high potion. And we get another cutscene. Sora, Kairi, and Riku are sitting at the tree on Riku's Island, staring at the sunset across the sea. And we get more discussion on Kairi's hometown being out there somewhere. Apparently, the gang is building a raft so they can sail away from the island and see other worlds. And it's apparently Kairi's fault for showing up. Kairi, obviously knowing more than she's letting on, asks Riku what he'll do if they get to another world. Riku responds with an existential question, much like the one we heard Sora say in his dream. He says, I've always wondered why we're here on this island. If there are any other worlds out there, why did we end up on this one? And suppose there are other worlds. Ours is just a little piece of something much greater. So we could have just as easily ended up somewhere else, right? Sora doesn't know, so he leans back on the tree. Riku says that that's why they need to go out there and find out. As Riku thanks her for showing up on their island and causing him to think of all these questions, Kairi gives a half-hearted, you're welcome. Why does she respond like this? See not number five in the spoilers. As the three are walking across the bridge, Riku stops Sora by throwing a large, star-shaped fruit at him. Sora recognizes it as a Paupu fruit. Riku mentions that according to a legend, if two people share one, their destinies become intertwined. They'll remain a part of each other's lives no matter what. Confused, Sora throws the fruit off the bridge, and they both run after Kairi. The scene ends, and now we have shown up at a white castle with a blue shingled roof. This is Disney Castle. The song playing here is the Mickey Mouse Club March, originally written by Jimmy Dodd, and of course arranged by Yoko Shimamura. Donald Duck, in wizard garb, is walking down a hallway towards a comically large door. Upon knocking on it, a much smaller one inset into the door opens, and Donald proceeds through. Upon entering what is obviously King Mickey Mouse's throne room, Donald approaches the throne, but King Mickey isn't there. However, Pluto is and has a letter in his mouth. Upon reading this letter, Donald panics and runs off to find Goofy, who is a knight in this world, and he is asleep in the courtyard. After waking Goofy up with a thunder spell to the face, Donald tries to start telling Goofy about the message, but Goofy keeps interrupting, mentioning Queen Minnie and Daisy, the Duchess of Duck, who are both behind Donald, much to his chagrin. Where possible, the English cast of the game tries to use the current versions of the characters as of the release of the game. As such, Donald Duck is voiced by Tony Anselmo. He has voiced Donald since 1986 and also during that time worked in the animation department and the art department at Disney. Both Goofy and Pluto are voiced by Bill Farmer. He has voiced Goofy since 1987 and has voiced Pluto since 1990. Bill Farmer is a far more prolific voice actor th than his counterpart. He has even voiced Looney Tunes characters such as Sylvester, Yosemite Sam, and Foghorn Leghorn in the hit 90s movie Space Jam. We come back to Sora on our second day on Destiny Island. Selfie, Waka, and Titus can still be challenged if you wish, or now you can fight all three at once. If you talk to Waka, though, he'll tell you that he and Titus are going to be exploring, especially at the secret place at the base of the tree. Fun fact, this is the first time that Titus's name has ever been spoken, as throughout Final Fantasy X, they never refer to the character by name, since you could change his name if you wish. 
not counting the player characters in the MMORPGs Final Fantasy XI and Final Fantasy XIV, this was the last time you could change your character's name in a new Final Fantasy game. While I will still continue to pronounce his name as Titus, both because of the word Tide and how it comes close to the biblical name Titus, it is actually supposed to be Titus, as it comes from an Okinawan dialect word for sun. Much like Yuna's name means moon, Yuna being the female lead and love interest in Final Fantasy X. If you go through the door that Kyrie was standing in front of yesterday, you'll find yourself on the other side of the island where you can talk to Riku about the name of the raft. Riku thinks it should be named Highwind, which is the name of the airship in Final Fantasy VII. You can pick whatever name you want Sora to suggest, but his default answer is Excalibur, named after the Arthurian Sword of Legend, which actually does appear in Disney's The Sword in the Stone. To decide the winner, Riku and Sora are going to have a race across the island to a star on top of a tree and back. Sora, who claims that if he wins, he gets to be captain. But Riku has a better idea for a prize. Whoever wins gets to share a Paupu fruit with Kairi. Before Sora can react to this, the race starts. Those of you who have played this before remember might remember how hard it is to actually beat Riku at this race. However, it is possible to beat him. Allow me to give you my strategy. Jump across the wooden platforms to get to the other side. The middle platform has a trap door, so make sure to jump before you get to the end of that platform. Run around the far right side of the tower and head to the hill to the right of the palm trees. Jump along the overhangs until you get to the star and touch it. Immediately jump back to the ground underneath those trees and head back the way you came, jumping over the ledge by the tower. Jump back across the platforms, not landing on the trap door if it is still there, and you should make it to Kairi before Riku does. However, whether you win or lose, no one actually gets to share the Paupu with Kairi. So don't worry too much. The actual only real prize for beating Riku is the name of the raft, which will come up later. After the race, find Kairi at the raft you pass during the race, and she'll give you more beach chores. You've got to find supplies for the trip itself, namely one seagull egg, three mushrooms, two coconuts, three fish, and drinking water not from the sea. There is a mushroom immediately behind the rock to your right. The coconuts will drop when you attack the palm trees with your wooden sword. You can only pick up the green ones, though. The second mushroom is in the grass next to the tower. The drinking water can either be picked up at the spring by the wood platforms or the day one side of the island at the waterfall by the secret place. The seagull egg is atop the palm tree by the bridge to Riku's Island. The fish are the weird moving objects you see in the ocean by the beach. Just run over them to pick them up. Last but not least, this is the third mushroom, which is in the secret place, which I held to last because it triggers a cutscene. First off, the secret place is covered in drawings that obviously the kids have drawn. Most of these drawings are seemingly random, though you can see what looks like Donald Duck next to a chocobo the giant yellow ostrich-like mounts from the Final Fantasy series. At the far end, near the obviously not conspicuous wooden door-shaped thing, are two drawings of Kairi and Sora. Kairi's portrait obviously being done very poorly by Sora, which is where you'll find the mushroom. Sora draws himself giving a Paupu fruit to Kairi when he senses he's not alone. In the darkness, we have a mysterious shrouded character, who happens to be voiced by Billy Zane. In Back to the Future Part 2, he played the character Match. 
who this mysterious character is, is not number six. For now, though, I'm just going to call him Billy. Billy has come to see the door to this world because it's been connected to the darkness and will soon be completely eclipsed. He tells Sora that he doesn't know what's behind the door, that there's so much to learn in so little time, that one who knows nothing can understand nothing. Sora tries to converse with him through all this, but is either confused or he embarrasses himself. Sora looks at the door and turns back and Billy is gone. Well, that was weird. We run back to Kyrie, turn our stuff in, and she shows us what she's been working on. A necklace of Thalassa shells. Apparently in the old days, sailors wore them to protect themselves. This one she's making will have a charm on them when she's finished to look like a star, but she hasn't finished with it just yet. It's still missing one shell. She states the three of us will always be together. Referring to herself, Sora, and Riku. Talk to her again and you'll turn in your supplies and she'll give you another high potion. The day ends and we get another cutscene. Sora and Kairi are at the end of the pier looking at the sunset. Kairi says that Riku has changed. Sora doesn't know what she means. And Kairi changes the subject, suggesting that the two of them should just take the raft and go, apparently leaving Riku behind. She claims to be just kidding, but I don't know. I think in that moment she meant it. Kairi says she was afraid at first, but now she's ready. She knows afterwards she can always come back to the island. Sora agrees with her and Kyrie seems relieved. As Kyrie stands up, she says, I just can't wait. Once we set sail, it'll be great. As the scene fades out, I would like to point out that some of what she said here is some more foreshadowing like what happened with her and Sora's dream. Join us on the next episode as we will finish Destiny Islands and end up looking for a certain set of characters in Traverse Town. So join me next time. In the meantime, this has been Drew, and I'll catch you in the next frame. The Cellcast is a member of the Pop Americana and Culture Box Media Networks. For more information about shows in those networks, please check the links in the description. The Cellcast presents Untangling Kingdom Hearts as a production of the Cellcast podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at cast underscore cell, on Facebook at the Cellcast, on Twitch at the Cellcast Gaming, and you can email us at the Cellcast Podcast at gmail.com or visit us on our webpage at the Cellcast.podbean.com. Our theme music is Trinity by Tyler Spirian and is a remix of the song Dearly Beloved by Yoko Shimamura from the franchise Kingdom Hearts. The Cellcast Podcast has no affiliation with Square Enix, Disney, or for that matter, anyone else connected to the Kingdom Hearts franchise. The Cellcast Presents Untangling Kingdom Hearts is a fan production, and no copyright infringement is intended or implied. Kingdom Hearts is owned by both Disney and Square Enix. This podcast also is not intended to be a replacement for playing the games. Please go and play them yourself. Warning! Spoilers incoming! Heal! Our first question today, which is part of Not 5. Where did Kyrie come from? Kyrie is from Radiant Garden, which in this game is known as Hollow Bastion. Second question in that Not, how did she get here? While in Radiant Garden, Kyrie ran into Aqua. Aqua, realizing that she was a princess of heart, 
See not number two. Placed a protection spell on her in Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. A year later, Terra Xehanort, disguised as Ansem, captured Kyrie as she was cornered by Heartless. Terra Xehanort told her that the world would soon fall to the darkness and that Kyrie was the only one who could save it since he suspected she was a princess of heart. As such, her heart should resonate with a Keyblade wielder's heart, which would lead them to that wielder's world. But if it failed and she ended up somewhere on the other side, she was supposed to abandon the search. Due to Aqua's protection spell, the experiment did work, and Kyrie's heart ended up resonating with Riku's. The process transported her to another world during a meteor shower, and she appeared floating in the water uh, uh, on the beach at Destiny Islands. However, the experiment caused Kyrie's memories of her time in Radiant Garden to be repressed. She was then brought to the mayor's house, and the mayor adopted her. We find most of this out in Kingdom Hearts' Melody of Memory. Last but not least, not number six. Billy Zane's character here is Tara Xehanort's Heartless before he gains a body and becomes Ansem, Seeker of Darkness. 